who you say Jesus is will determine everything about how you follow him. I suppose even whether you follow him or not, who you say Jesus is will determine everything about how you follow him. What I'm going to say next likely will not surprise you, though. Uh, my hope, my, my goal, my intention is for you to see God as more important, more essential, more necessary for your daily life, more, more standing out from everything that's around you in your normal day-to-day life as a part of your rhythm of life and for him to to be a part of that rhythm of your life, maybe more than ever before. And, and that's not just this morning, that's kind of the intention of all ministry in general, is to make, help us all to see God for who he truly is, and then to live our lives in an appropriate response to that. If Jesus is just a good teacher, maybe an important historical figure, it would be easy for us to be able to just push him off to the side. It'd be easy for us to to kind of choose some aspects of who he is, even kind of ignore him more or less. You can feel free to kind of pick and choose which aspects of his teachings or of his life are really matter important to us. You can live some or maybe most of your days as if Jesus had never really existed. But if Jesus of Nazareth was more than that, as the gospel writers are trying to communicate, that if he is really God who came to live among us, then the right response isn't just to listen to him. It's, it's actually to form our lives in response to him. To, we shouldn't be able to live another day as if he didn't exist. We should, we should have him shape our relationships, to, to shape our relationship with our money to shape the way that we, we see the world, to shape our sexuality, to shape our view of ourselves, uh, how we approach suffering, how we approach death, what our fears are, the way that we work during the week. It should shape all of those things because who you say Jesus is should and will determine everything about how you follow him. And, and that's why Jesus specifically asked a question of his disciples about what they thought of him. We're going to be looking today in the book of Matthew. If you have a Bible, we're going to be reading in, the ch- in Matthew chapter 16, beginning in verse 13. And Jesus asks his questions, this, his disciples this question. Who do you say the Son of Man is? If you are new here, uh, th- you've maybe... Maybe everybody, this is new, I guess. The question mark behind me. The reason why there's a question mark behind me, thank you to Arlen Hanberg for uh, crafting that. It's really great. Yeah, there you go. Arlen, I'm sure that's not actually very easy. That is a big thing to move around a bandsaw right there. So well done. The, The reason why we have this big question mark is because we're in a series called Questions Jesus Asked. And Jesus is the expert or master question asker. He always asks questions with a purpose. And his purpose is to help us to understand something about God's character, something about ourselves, or how we should respond to God, to push us to actually take a step of responding to God. So the setting for this passage in Matthew 16 is, and his disciples have walked to this place called Caesarea Philippi. And he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say 
I am. Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for it was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he ordered his disciples not to tell anyone he was the Messiah. Lord, we ask you to help us to understand this passage and to see you as bigger and to live our lives in consequence. May it be so, we ask because of Jesus. Amen. All right, so Matthew outlines, he says it's this very specific place where they go, Caesarea Philippi. They've had to go up from the Sea of Galilee to a higher elevation, way up there. I don't know, it's about 25 miles away from there that they've hiked to this, this place. And Jesus asked them this question, who do you, who do people say I am? And specifically, he says, who do they say the Son of Man is? He's, he's referring to himself. This is a, a, a term that he used to reference himself. And it's, uh, it's a term that's both very humble, I think, and kind of majestic. It's humble because in a way, he's just saying uh, he's a human being. He's just a person. There's an aspect of that. But it's also magnificent because it's, there's an allusion in that to uh, something from the book of Daniel that refers to this one like a son of man who was both a man and divine, who is before the throne of God and that, the peop- that comes. So there's this figure that's a human divine figure that, that comes before them. And so it's a messianic kind of image as well. They say, so you say, who do people say the son of man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. So all the people that they list, and we don't have time to go into all those things, but they're all in that kind of prophet category that they've got there. Uh, so important, these people are important. They speak for God. There's people who are, uh, that we should listen to. So it's, there's something important that God is doing and doing through him. That's what people are saying already. Well, who do people say that Jesus is today? Uh, people will say that Jesus is a good teacher. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago in a little bit more depth. Uh, I, I would say a subset of that teacher category, I, would, I think, is it's somebody who's potentially irrelevant. Because if somebody is a good teacher, it might be somebody who said a lot of important things. They may have been somebody who was very important at the time. But someone who's an important or uh, influential teacher they don't necessarily have to matter anymore. For example, I know that Plato was a very important person. He shaped Western civilization, but there are a lot of days I don't think about Plato, right? So he, extremely important, but I can choose whether or not I want to think about him. Maybe other people today would think that Jesus is kind of an extremist, or at least he led toward people having those kind of tendencies, that people don't always like the way that Christians view the world. Or maybe some people would say that Jesus was just a made-up person. Uh, It's not a position that very many experts have anymore, but if I were to ask you, what do people say about him? That is something that people do say about him. The experts agree that there was a guy named Jesus who existed. Uh, All right, Jesus continues. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. So Peter, he's the first one to pipe up and say, Hey, you're the Messiah. 
you're the son of the living God. He kind of goes for broke on this. He aims very high. It's terrific. So Peter is the first one then to clearly articulate this in the book of Matthew. And uh, he says he's calling him the Messiah. Matthew does use that term in the beginning of the book. He does use the term Messiah earlier when Jesus is very young. But Matthew has the advantage of writing that book after Jesus died and resurrected again. But this is the first time really that's coming out of a disciple's mouth. So this guy, Simon Peter, well, at that point, he's just Simon, right? Jesus is going to give him his nickname Peter in just a minute. But this guy, uh, Simon Peter, he says, you are the Messiah. And that means he is the anointed one. In the UK, when they uh, crown a new king or queen, there's kind of a procedure for doing that. I think that King Charles is going to be uh, have his coronation maybe in May or something like that. Uh, and so there's a lot of preparation that goes into that. There's uh, a whole ceremony that they follow when they do that. And the ceremony for someone who is going to be a king or a priest in the biblical times, one of the things that they would do was to anoint them or to pour oil on their head. And that's where that word Messiah comes from. It means the anointed one. In Latin, or I mean Greek, in Greek that word is Christos. Uh, so that's why the word Messiah and Christ are the same thing. Christos, uh, that they poured and anointed this on them. And so over time, this idea of the anointed one grew in the minds of the people. When they returned back from exile, they... they they th- believed that there was going to be this special leader who was going to raise, be raised up, who would restore the monarchy, who would be this anointed one, the Messiah, the Christos. And there were a lot of expectations that got put on this figure who is coming, and people had a lot invested in that term. And Peter says, Jesus, you're that. You're that thing that we've been waiting for. There are going to be some implications in this passage for us, and I, I think of it as kind of a couple of moves. One move is for us as individuals, and one for us as a church. And so let's look at how this gets talked about in this passage. So we'll look at first this individual guy, Simon. And Simon Peter says, you're the Messiah. Does he understand what that means? Not entirely. Not, of course not. He, he has kind of his first ideas of what that means, his first inklings of what it would mean for there to be a Messiah. He, he's brought some of his own ideas of what that Messiah would do, and Jesus is going to have to break some of those down. He's not done learning yet about what it means for Jesus to be the Messiah and for him to be a follower of that Messiah. And, and we see that right away. We look at it in his, his pronouncement. He says, just after this part that we just read, uh, Jesus says he's going to suffer and Simon's like, no, 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 don't, not like that. And so he clearly doesn't really understand what it's going to mean. Because Peter isn't done learning after he makes this pronouncement. And for you and me, when we start our journey with Christ, we all have kind of an idea about what it means to be a follower of Jesus. You know enough at that point that you say that you want to follow him. But do we understand everything? No. We've got a lot to learn still. Of course not. There are things that God is going to need to make bigger in our minds to help us to understand more about who he is. And there are other things that we have brought along with us that God is going to have to break down as well about what we thought, these assumptions that God is going to have to break down. But that's that's what it means to be a disciple. A disciple is somebody who learns to to learn from Jesus, to, to 
we, we assume that learning is going to be a part of our journey with God. So we allow him to be the one to, to shape our idea about what it means for him to be God. And, and we allow him to be the one to shape our lives as well because he's teaching us what it means for us to be people who follow God. Pastor Andy has a really great quote about this. He says this. He says, you can choose whether or not you're a follower of Jesus, but you don't get to choose what a follower of Jesus looks like or sounds like or acts like. So you can choose. You get to choose whether or not you follow Jesus, but we don't get to choose whether that following of God has implications for our life and the way that we talk and the way that we interact with other people, the way that we, we interact with our whole community around us. We don't get to choose what it looks like or sounds like or acts like. So, of course, it is optional for us to follow Jesus or not. But if you say, like Peter does, like Simon Peter here, if you say that Jesus is the Messiah, then there are implications for what it means to follow him. We don't get to pick and choose. And among the things that we don't get to pick and choose is that the Christian life involves growth. It involves us changing and, and becoming more and more devoted to God, to, to have our eyes fixed on Jesus and following him. One of the things that I really appreciated about the culture of this church when I came here, here in Simi Cove, uh, was that I love that this church is a place that allows for some messiness in our lives, that we don't have to have everything all figured out ahead of time. We have, we have room in this church for people to be a beginner in the faith. I love that. I love, I like beginners. It takes a lot of guts to be a beginner. If you are new to the Christian faith, hey, hats off. It is, I am so impressed because it is scary when you first take steps of faith. You don't know anything. You, they say turn to the book of Matthew, and you're like, I don't know where that is. And you have to, and then you need permission from, from somebody to say, there's a table of contents in the front. It's okay, use it, right? It's okay to be a beginner because everybody starts out as a beginner. But, but the, the thing is, everybody starts out as a beginner, but nobody's supposed to stay there. We're not supposed to stay at our first steps of faith and, and stagnate there. It's supposed to continue to press its roots out in our lives. None of us is supposed to stay there. Being a disciple means being a learner. It's literally the word learner. So we need to learn from Jesus and act accordingly. And that's, that's what Peter does. He, he spent a ton of time with Jesus before he made this pronouncement that he was the Christ. He, he had literally been walking with this guy all over Israel with his motley crew of other disciples. There's a moment when Jesus presses the question that he's able to say, out loud, something that maybe he had been thinking for a little while already, that this is the Messiah. This is the king that we've been waiting for. But Peter's journey of discovering what it means for Jesus to be the Messiah and what it means for his own life for him to be the Messiah weren't over. This is the king we've been waiting for, but I don't know everything about what that means for my journey with God yet. But after Christ's death and his resurrection, the same Peter, he, he found himself before the highest religious court in the land. And he was a fearless defender of the faith. But look how much deeper he understands this. This is from the book of Acts, Acts 4. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, 
If we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man, they had, they had healed a man who um, had a, a limp. So if we are being shown, uh, called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who is lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. He sees he had been rejected, but now he's the cornerstone of the whole building of my life. Salvation is found in no one else. He's speaking to a group of people who, who are interested in God, who love God, but he says, salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. So here's a guy who understands in a new depth what it means to follow Jesus. And he's so bold in talking before these people, and he's starting to really understand the implications for that. If you want to find that again, that's in Acts 4, uh, beginning of verse 8, if you want to read that later. So maybe you have been hanging out with Jesus for a while. You've spent some time with him, and you have spent some time walking all over with Jesus' motley crew of people. And I'm hoping that, that at some point you might be able to take that step to say, I want to follow him. And I'm not sure exactly what that means. That you would be able to take that step to say, Jesus really is king and I want to follow him. We're going to have a moment in a, in a little while, just in a, in a couple of seconds, we're going to have a chance to pray for that. But any of us, when we take that first step, our journey isn't done. We still need to have the king look bigger in our eyes, and we expect that we're going to grow afterwards. Well, secondly, what does it mean for us as a church, though? So that's, as individuals, that's what it means for us as a church. Peter makes this proclamation, and then Jesus replies to him, verse 17. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, the word means rock, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. There's so much that's in here. We only have a, a brief amount of time, but a couple things I would like for us to take away as a church. Uh, this, the word church in that passage is actually kind of a surprising one. It's, it's actually the first time it comes up in the New Testament. It's this word ecclesia. It means an assembly of, God, of God's people. A gathering of people. So the, the church is the gathering of people. You've heard this before. It's not the actual church building, right? You and I, we are a part of the church. When you leave today, you aren't actually leaving the church. The church is actually leaving the building, right? Uh, that's the right way to see it. The church leaves the building. And, and Jesus is, he, he, the, this movement of Jesus' people starts with this one statement. You are the Messiah, And and Jesus says, hey, that understanding that you've got, you get that from the Father. So what are some implications for us, some things that we can already say about this church that's acting like the church? What I see in here is uh, the church is some group of people who are driven by God's agenda. God is shaping people's minds. And on top of that, Jesus says, upon this rock, I will build my church. Jesus himself is the one who's doing building. I think that's really a great encouragement to us that Jesus is the one who is building. And in other New Testament scriptures, we see that the, the Spirit is at work building the church, that there's this triune 
God, who's doing all the building and the shaping and the helping people to realize and to, and to motivate, energize the whole church. It's also focused on Jesus. It's focused on the rock of proclaiming Jesus as the Messiah. It's kind of the central cry of any church, but our church as well. And if we get too busy doing other things, then in the end we stop doing the thing that a church should be doing. If, if, this is, if he says, on this rock I will build the church, he's, he has just made this proclamation that Jesus is Christ, that seems to be a central cry of the church. That's the thing that we should be doing. So I think that the people of God need to be proclaiming Jesus as Messiah. We say that Jesus is the king. He's the king that we've been waiting for, and we do that more and more confidently. And I love it. He says, you know, Satan's not going to win against this program because it's not just a building. It's not even just us. Our church can end, but Jesus' program on earth doesn't end. Individual churches, individual Christians can have problems, but God's agenda keeps moving forward because God is, is the one who's at work. But like we said, the church is also a church of beginners. We're a bunch of beginners, kind of beginners for life, I think. We proclaim that Jesus is the Messiah, but that doesn't mean that we have all of that figured out. It doesn't mean we have our whole lives figured out. We don't. And Simon Peter doesn't have it figured out, but he was the first spark the spark of proclaiming that he's the Messiah. And, and it's God that is the one who's fanning that flame. We, we said last week that oftentimes we feel torn between our convictions and our compassion for people, between our principles and people. But what we see in the life of Jesus is that we are called to do both 100%. And, and we ended up last week saying that we as evangelicals, kind of our crew here, we could use a little bit of a compassion boost. I think it's true. But we also defined that that, that compassion boost is, is that we, we recognize that we are people who need God's compassion as well. That the source of the compassion boost is actually going to be God's own work in our lives. So if we start from that humble place, then we'll be able to, to speak in a more meaningful and a more, a more convicted way because we know that we are receiving God's mercy in ourselves. So we, we proclaim that Jesus is the Messiah. That's our central thing that we're supposed to be doing as a church. But we're not doing it in a way that makes us a bunch of haters. <laughs> we're not looking down on other people. We're not doing it in a way that separates us from other people. In fact, the idea is supposed to be that we are supposed to feel closer to other people. We say we are people who are in need of a doctor because we're sick. We need him. So we proclaim that Jesus is Messiah with confidence. I, I had a friend call me and tell me this last week that, that there was a sale going on at a place. And he just said, listen, you got to go to this place. There's a sale happening. He had no qualms about letting me know very confidently because he knew that I wanted to know about it. And he, was, he felt free to do it. And I, I want us to be people who are willing to proclaim that Jesus is Messiah like telling your friend about a sale you know they want to hear about. But let's, let's be confident. We can, we can do that. And that's going to be our, one of the central things that we're about. That's the one thing that can't go away. There are plenty of programs that can come and go in our church. We can change the chairs. Uh, we can change lots of things. But we need to be a church that is confidently proclaiming that Jesus is Messiah. 
All right, that's what we're doing as a group. But I, I think we need to do that individually, like we said. So let, let's take, uh, we're going to have a moment. And I, I'm going to invite you in a moment to pray. And I, I would like for you individually, each of us as a church needs to make this commitment to, to pray, to ask God, say, hey, God, I, I, I want us to know each other. Forgive me for ignoring you. Forgive me for running from you. I know, Jesus, that you are the king. Rule in my life here on earth like you rule in heaven. God, my life is yours. Please take every part of it. And if we're, if we're doing that all together, if we're praying that, whether for the first time or for the thousandth time, uh, we, we know that we, know that we, can, we have to grow. I know that following Jesus isn't a very linear process. It happens sometimes in a very messy way. It isn't going to be by marketing methods. It's not going to be by some specific argument that's going to, it's not going to be even by touching our emotions. It's going to have to be by the work of the Father, revealing that to each person to take steps of faith in Jesus. And so we want to proclaim him energetically to each other, remind each other to keep following. And I'm thinking of an action step that I would like all of us to take. I would like for all of us, I've started this already this last week. I would like for you to do this. I would like for you to pray for at least one person that you come across during the week. It doesn't have to be out loud. You don't have to close your eyes, right? What I'm saying is I would like for you to pray that, that God would reveal himself to a person, that, they, that the other people will see that Jesus is the Messiah. So I'm saying you would pray for the checker if you're not going through the self-checkout. You, you pray for your checker, uh, pray for somebody in a car next to you. Maybe you're never going to even really interact with this person. Uh, pray, for, pray for your kid's teacher. Uh, pray for somebody that you're interacting with. Oh, there you go. Okay, that's good. I'd like, for you to, I'd like for you to pray. Pray that other people will see that Jesus is the Messiah. That he is the light of the world. Let's pray for that. So, so what I'm saying is that in your interactions with people, we, we want, if, if, if proclaiming that Jesus is the Messiah is kind of a central act of the life of a disciple and a central act of the life of a church, then let's be people who start to pray that other people will take that step. That we would, that we would be able to be the ones to pray that our community would take that, would acknowledge that truth, that Jesus is the Messiah. So pray for other people around you. Like I said, you don't have to close your eyes when you're going through Vaughn's, praying for the, the, the person that's checking you out, but, but to make that move of your heart at least once a day. Who am I going to pray for today? That they, will, that they will see that Jesus is the Messiah. And I, I think if we are ready, if we have that prayer ready at our hip, it's going to change our hearts. It's going to change the way that we see the world. Uh, the people around us can't really be seen as much of a, as an annoyance as somebody who needs God. The, the people around us, the, we, we can't even act neutrally toward people. We have to act like we're part of the church sent out into the world. I, I think sometimes I can just be a nice guy in the world on a good day. I can be a nice guy. But what I want to be is that I want, I want from my interactions with people and from my prayers for people that other people will see that Jesus is the Messiah. And I think even our atheist friends or our friends from other faiths, if they see us interacting in a way that acts like I'm praying that they will believe that Jesus is the Messiah, that that will be compelling. Because I have to be more forgiving. I have to be more self-effacing. I have to be more, uh, I have to be bolder. I have to do a lot of things. I, I think it would make Christians a lot better Christians if we were praying for that.
in our daily interactions. So I want you to pray for somebody just this week, just this week, seven times, okay? Pray for somebody that they will see Jesus as Messiah. Let's pray all together. So it begins with us. We make this move, and we make this move individually and as a church. Our central truth is that you are the Messiah. Maybe it's your first time praying this, but I want you to pray with me. Lord, let's get to know each other. Forgive me for ignoring you. Forgive me, Lord, for running from you. I know you are the King Jesus. Rule in my life here on earth just like you rule in heaven. God, my life is yours. Please take every part of it. Lord, our lives collectively are yours. We pray that you will take all of it because we know that that what we say about you is going to determine everything about how we follow you. So we pray that the central act of our discipleship will be to say that you are the Christ. And I need to figure out what that means about you and what that means for me. Help me to grow in that this week, I pray in Christ's name.